0: We're all familiar with the the title, uh, God is love. Uh, It's true of God that he is love. Uh, God also shows wrath. He is angry with sin, but that is not his proper work. It's what the Bible says, his strange work. God delights to bestow peace. And one of the great verses, of course, in the Bible Uh, speaks about God's initiative in making peace. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But, of course, uh, giving peace begs the question, why do we need peace? Uh, We make a great step forward when we realize that we have been at loggerheads with God, that things are not good between us and God. And essentially, that means that we've been living for ourselves instead of living for God. Our destiny, the reason we were made, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And when we don't do that, we've taken arms up against God. We're defying God and breaking his commandments. Paul says that the the mind of the natural man is enmity with God. It cannot please God, neither does it want to do So we are, by nature, at loggerheads with God. That's where we are. And when we understand that, it's a great wake-up call because most people, for most of their lives, are living in denial of that. They minimize sin. They compare themselves with other people. Uh, They excuse their self-love and they ignore the million different ways in which they have put other things in place of God. We are at enmity with God. And the dawning realization uh, comes that we are in a serious situation. Because the question then is, given that I am this kind of person, how can I find acceptance with God? Why would he accept me? When I have grieved him by uh, a million uh, obstructions, denials. Well, we will not find acceptance by trying harder. That's for sure. The Bible makes that abundantly plain, that we cannot, by our best efforts, by keeping the law, find acceptance with God. And so here we are, paralyzed by fear and guilt. God looms large before us as this righteous judge who is at perfect liberty, In fact, we feel it would be only the proper thing to condemn us. And then the gospel news breaks in. The news of the God of peace. God is the God of peace who has taken the initiative. We cannot, by seeking, find God, but he comes and seeks and finds us. He makes us Peace. He is the God of peace. Well, we say, well, if I trust him, how can I be sure that he accepts me? And the answer is that he has shown us visibly that everything that puts us in danger, every sin that would condemn you on the day of judgment, has been dealt with. The evidence he gives is the resurrection. And here's how it works there is an eternal covenant. Mentioned, isn't it, in our benediction, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our great shepherd. What is this eternal covenant? It is this God in eternity past covenanted, made a solemn agreement that his son would do what we cannot do. His son would keep the law. His son would die in the place of lawbreakers. He would bear himself the penalty of the law. The prophets spoke of this. Ezekiel and Jeremiah spoke of a new covenant or an eternal covenant. And the blood of the covenant signifies the fact that a life was forfeit. Jesus was slain. He bore the penalty for law-breaking. But he did that as a substitute, not because he had done it himself and needed to be punished, but he was standing in the place of his people. And God gave his promise, I will give my son to be your savior. If you will trust him, you will have your guilt taken away through his taking your punishment. And this is a covenant sealed in blood. It's sure And it's eternal. Its effects go on eternally. And as proof that peace has been made with God, God raised Jesus from the dead. Raised him from the dead, and he appeared to many witnesses. You see, it might have been possible for Jesus to have kept the bargain might have been possible that Jesus did what was asked of him, but we could still have been in doubt. We could have been in doubt, first of all, that his death had been a failure, that it hadn't dealt with sin. Or, secondly, his death uh, may well have made peace with us, but we had no way of knowing that God had accepted the sacrifice. The resurrection is God's, we have seen The covenant has been kept. Peace has been made. This is my son. With him I am well pleased. God's making peace. God's seeking to assure troubled hearts. And yet, as we stand shaking on that threshold, we may still be saying, What if the resurrection is not true? What if this evidence? that you're speaking of, didn't actually take place. We don't really have time to go into all of the evidence for the resurrection because there's a whole volume of of books that have been written about the the historical reliability of the resurrection. Let me just give you one uh, example. Today, uh, we're very much used to to fake news uh, coming out of Washington. We, we learn to be suspicious of the, the, the line that we're fed. Well, fake news coming from politicians in Washington is not uh, a new thing. Uh, back in uh, Richard Nixon's presidency, there was the Watergate scandal uh, when the uh, Republicans bugged the Watergate Hotel where the Democrat Party were having their conference. Uh, it was all hushed up.
1: But eventually,
0: uh, they were discovered, and Nixon's chief of staff, a real hatchet man by the name of Charles Colson, was one of those who were jailed as a result of this. He became a Christian. Uh, he spoke uh, for the gospel uh, in many places, wrote many Christian books. And he later said about uh, how his experience in the, the cover-up had convinced him of the resurrection. I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. That's quite powerful psychological testimony, isn't it, when you think that through? God has demonstrated in the resurrection. He's made peace with sinful people who have been at enmity with him. The second provision that the resurrection points to is the protection that we know of from the great shepherd who has been risen, our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep. Let me explain what this means for us. means that we have someone who is totally committed to our good. Lots of us long for that, don't we? We long for for friends who only want the very best for us. Our society becomes more and more individualistic. People are more and more out for themselves, out for what they can get. Uh, even families become fractured, it's a precious gift, isn't it, to have somebody that you know only wills you good. When you have a friend like that, you've someone that you can trust, you can be open with them. you can be vulnerable with them because they know that you know that no matter how vulnerable you are before them, they only wish you're, you're good, your best. That's a great friendship to have. Jesus is totally committed to his people. You see, that's the quality of a good shepherd. A good shepherd must be someone who is committed to the flock. Now, there are people in the sheep business, like every other business, who are in it for the money. They look at the flock. They see lamb chops. They see paycheck. And Jesus speaks about the difference between the person who is in it for the money, who's a hired hand, and the shepherd who is committed to them. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the flock. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Jesus is committed to the flock. Uh, One of the the pictures, one of the the, uh, archetypes, if you like, of of Jesus as a shepherd was David. David, uh, remember when he he wants to challenge Goliath, he wants to respond to to Goliath's challenge rather, and he has to convince King Saul that he's up to the task because he's just a young lad. And David tells King Saul that when he was looking after his father's sheep, uh, he said, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth, When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. David, as a shepherd, was committed to his flock and was brave enough to risk his life in the defense of his flock. But Jesus is more committed yet. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus shows the ultimate level of commitment to us. He gave his life that we might be saved. And the resurrection means that The one who was so committed to his people to give his life is now raised with that same commitment, but now to keep and protect them. He's already demonstrated the extent of his commitment through the cross. Now that commitment is shown in his ongoing protection of all who come to him. Now I know from uh, experience uh, how, how really stupid sheep can be at times. The first thing that you have to do if you're going to uh, check in your sheep as you go along the fence line, because sure, as anything, one of them is going to get their head uh, stuck in the fence. You know, there they are, sticking their lovely little noses into what doesn't belong to them, and they get stuck. And if they're left for too long, they get into difficulty. But not just fences. Uh, anything, uh, buckets. Uh, I've seen that lambs with their head stuck in a teapot on one occasion. Uh, another stupid thing that sheep will get up to is that they're prone to getting stuck on their backs. In summertime, when their fleece is heavy, uh, they can roll over and uh, four legs in the air, and they can't get back upright again unless someone will help. And if they're like that, then they're going to starve or dehydrate or the crows are going to peck them. We're pretty much like that. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We get into all kinds of bother. We're helpless at times. We need a shepherd. We need someone who is committed to our good. We need someone who is going to protect us who's going to keep us from harm and the resurrection says that this shepherd who showed his commitment by laying down his life is risen to protect us all the days of our life also and he'll keep us until we arrive in heaven there's a great promise that jesus gives us in that shepherd chapter of john 10 my sheep listen to my voice i know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, That is such a precious promise. I've clung on to that promise at times. No one can snatch them out of my hand. If you will come to Jesus, he will keep you. Promise to protect you. His resurrection is evidence that the Good Shepherd has shown his commitment by laying down his life, will now show it by keeping his sheep. Well, you might say though, well, I believe that God would provide peace to the cross and that Jesus would protect me. But I feel helpless and powerless to live the Christian life. I couldn't keep it up. And again, that's a common fear. But it arises from the idea that uh, you must live the Christian life in your own strength. Or even worse, it may mean that some are thinking that being a Christian is simply trying harder and doing better and thereby finding acceptance with God. And that's totally wrong. We are accepted only because of what Jesus has done. And when we put our trust in Jesus and believe that he took our place on the cross. Now, we can only believe in God if the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Did you know that? You can't believe even in God in your own strength. Faith is a gift that God must give. And when we're seeking God, it's only because God is seeking us. And God's Spirit comes and brings faith, and with that faith brings the power to live a new life. Paul tells the Ephesians that when you become a Christian, it's like the power of the resurrection now unleashed in a life So there you are, you're standing on the threshold, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't have the power to live a Christian life. I don't have the self-control to stop these destructive habits that are totally out of place in someone who would be a Christian. I don't have the patience I would need. Uh, There are people who simply wind me up continually and I snap on occasions. I don't have self-control. I don't have that kindness that I know Christians should show to people. I don't have the power that I need to live. And the Bible tells us that all of these things are fruit of the Spirit. No, we don't have them, but the Spirit brings them. God the Holy Spirit will equip you with everything good for doing His will, and He will work in you what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ. In the, the 1950s and 60s, uh, all over the north of Scotland, there were uh, great hydroelectric uh, dams being built. Tom Johnson was the Secretary of State for Scotland, and he's a great enthusiast for hydropower. And there were these magnificent structures uh, being built, capable of generating large quantities of electric energy. Light in the glens, But, you know, you could be living in the, the very shadow of one of these power stations with all the, the light beaming from it. But if you weren't connected to the grid, it did not do you any good. But there were people who were living in black houses, thatched houses at the time in the 50s. And when they got connected to the grid, yes. they were able to use all of the new modern appliances, electric cookers, electric fires, televisions, because there was power. Faith unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit brings faith, and delivers his power to enable us to live a new life. Here is the good news. This Easter Sunday morning, Jesus is alive. Jesus has been raised in power from the dead. You can have peace with God. You can have the protection of a good shepherd. You can know the provision of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to fear that you would not keep it up because of the resurrection. If anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And therefore, it's clear, isn't it, what the challenge is. If anyone on the threshold, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer fear or doubt. Trust him. You will be saved and you will know all his powerful resurrection provision. Amen. Father, we thank you for the, the glorious gospel. Thank you for the hope it brings us. And we pray, Lord, now that you'll bless the word. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, drive it home to our hearts and bring new life in believing. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Finishing our our service with a lovely uh, Easter hymn Uh, See what a morning gloriously bright with the dawning of hope in Jerusalem hold the great closed tomb filled with life as the angels announce Christ is risen.